Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. And I will scatter them among the heathen and disperse thee in the countries. And I will consume thy filthiness out of thee. And thou shalt take thine inheritance in thyself in the sight of the heathen. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 22 verses 15 and 16. In this chapter, God brings some very serious charges against the king, the priest, the prophets, and the people of Israel. They are vile, selfish, full of sin, extortion, lewdness, error, idolatry, perversion, and all manner of wickedness stemming from a lack of conviction over their lack of time in his presence. Therefore do striking and very severe warnings come forth. God tells them that he will cast them into the fire of his furious wrath, like silver is thrown into the furnace. He will scatter them like wheat and chaff, tossed into the wind. Yet in our opening passage, do we see that God is not going to do this because that he hates them, but rather because he loves them. The key phrase in that passage being that he said that he will consume the filthiness out of them through this process. Remember that Israel represents the church The king represents its leaders, the prophets. With all of them, he had a controversy, but his heart was still to purify the bride. He always tells us what to do. He desires that we do the right thing the first time. But when we choose not to trust him, not to obey him, then there are consequences. And in his love and mercy, sometimes he allows things to start shaking to start to strip away the things that are not important and to teach us to trust his message and be more selfless. God delights in mercy. He wants us to win. He wants us to make it. He wants us to be with him in his eternal kingdom. If we refuse to choose to come into his presence, where we can receive his instruction and correction in how to stay on the narrow path of righteousness, then he will allow us to become desperate. It brings us to repentance, back to that narrow path that leads to life everlasting. The chapter ends with God confessing. That he had searched for someone to make up a hedge of intercession for the land so that he would not have to destroy it. He is required by his justice to punish sin and wickedness. Yet, if the righteous will cry out in intercession and will preach righteousness, then another chance for repentance can be given and the sentence can be stayed for a season. This is the essence of what revival really is. We see a clear example of this in the testimony of Nineveh. In fact, this is what Christ himself did for us. It is also what Christ through the Holy Spirit desires to do through us for those around us. 
He intercedes for us. And he expects us to intercede for the lost. It is part of our great call and commission. For which we will one day give an account to him. For whether or not we fulfilled it with faithfulness and endurance. It will be among the truest fruits and evidences of whether or not Christ was really in us. And working through us. Because he does not fail to do the work of intercession. It is part of his mission. It is why God sent him. To stand between us and judgment. And call us to the safety of repentance. That's what intercession is. It is the one who stands between. So are you praying? Are you playing? Or are you interceding? In the final verses of this chapter, and in the final verses of this chapter, what we are really seeing is God's desire to see us saved from the consequences of our own decisions. His desire for mercy and goodness. His lack of desire to have to enact judgment as a means of cleansing the church for her selfishness. He would rather have revival and repentance. He would rather us just listen to his teachings and obey them. But without prayer and time in his presence, you will have none of it. Because that's where grace is. Because he is the only one who can bring it. And he won't bring it unless we seek it and ask for it with all of our heart. So the hard times come, and with it, desperation. And with desperation, intercession. And with intercession, repentance. And with repentance, restoration. So that the chapter ends with the words that any good parent knows all too well, saying in essence, That he doesn't want to have to teach and bring correction this way. But because the church wouldn't listen, then he must. Yet he wanted them to know that what he does, he does it in love. Remembering the words that we were told in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11, it says, No chastening for the present. Seemeth joyous, but rather it is grievous to be corrected. Nevertheless, afterward it will yield the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed following peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. In this passage in Hebrew, we're reminded that we cannot get into the kingdom of heaven unless we receive his righteousness and walk in his holiness. Holiness is separation. That means to be separated from the world, wholly set apart unto him as a bride is for her husband, being obedient to the leading of his spirit, And to no other. To trust him. 
with every decision to seek him, to abide, to fellowship. Lord, we repent today of busyness, of distraction, of trusting the leading of any other spirit or person, of not prioritizing time in the prayer closet and in worship. There are many that call themselves prophets today and they do what most of the false prophets did through scripture. They prophesy smooth words, deceit. They flatter and fluff and try to get a big following. But the true prophets, the true watchmen of scripture, their job was to preach repentance. Their job was to love the bride of God enough to warn them to stop being adulterous, to come back to him, to make them their first love, to give them their whole heart and attention. This is the work of the prophet of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet that was ever born to woman because he pointed the way to Jesus and he preached repentance. In Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 7 it says, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman upon the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them for me. There are consequences to sin. There is a legal system set up in heaven. Yes, there is a law that is in motion. And if you are not found hidden in Christ, bearing the righteousness of the blood washed, born again, being filled with his spirit and obeying it, abiding in that place of protection under the wing and shadow of the Lord God Almighty in the prayer closet and in the word of God and in obedience to his teachings in other words in righteousness and holiness as we read before doing what he says is right following his leading and being set apart unto him and him only if you are not in that place then you are not in a place of protection and his heart for us his heart for the bride is that they be brought back into it Therefore does he call the true prophet, the watchman, to come and to preach the hard message and say, this is where you are off track. You need to get back into alignment. In Isaiah chapter 62 verse 5, it says, as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem. Now understand when he speaks of Israel, he speaks of the church because we have been grafted in. So the church is part of this. He says, as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day or night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silent. And give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Are you still praying for the church? Because when God placed a watchman on the wall for Israel, like Jeremiah, Hosea, Habakkuk, or Ezekiel, it was because he loved Israel. It was his congregation Even when it was straying, his heart was breaking for it. And the watchman was one of his greatest mercies towards it. Let us remember this. 
as he places us in our own watch to warn and to lament even when they refuse to hear it. To love them and to grieve for them and not to be angry with them, but to share in the sufferings of Christ and his fellowship. Let it move us to brokenness rather than to bitterness. Because, oh, how the walls are down and the watchmen are scattered and battered while judgment, which in essence is the removal of God's protections because of continual wickedness, it is in fact the consequences of trusting in our own leading, our own decisions. And believe me, the church is guilty of it. Therefore is this coming, and that which God loves will be overrun by the consequences of her own decisions to trust in everything but his wisdom. They dance and they play while the enemy stands at the gate and will not cry out until it's too late. There are those among us who have seen what is coming from our place on the wall. Yet our warnings have been despised and rejected by the people and leaderships that we were commissioned by God to protect. So our next job, then, is to weep and to wail and to lament for them who will be overtaken because they did not humble to take the way of escape that was offered to them. Oh, dear saint, of the living God, do not become calloused, discouraged, despondent, or hard-hearted. Keep speaking, keep warning, keep warring in prayer, but above all, keep loving. As long as there is breath, there is still a chance. Keep fighting. Remember that God would not have called you there to that mission if he did not love them he truly does weep over them and their rejection of the warning remember that he raised you up as an act of love and of mercy towards them so now we must bow ourselves down and cry out for their humbling and repentance even if the means of it must be to come through judgment that mercy may be extended. This is intercession. The one who stands between. The watchman on the wall, seeing the enemy approaching the city that mocked and shamed him for his warnings because they could not see what he could see and yet still not abandoning his post in between them and what is coming, but continuing to warn and to ready his brothers in arms and prepare for the war, because he loves them and their territory of influence and the city that they are promised, because that's ultimately what the enemy is coming to destroy, not just their eternal soul, but every plan and destination that God had for them. When the enemy rises up to attack 
to steal, to kill, and to destroy. God takes it personally. It is an attack on New Jerusalem because that is the habitation that they have been promised. And to steal them or to steal the inhabitants of his great city and promise. God will not take it lightly. He will fight this fight to the finish. In Joel chapter 2, verse 15, we read this. O blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that still suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth out of her chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. The watchmen have seen and have warned, but the leaders of the people have not believed and have often sought to decommission that which God had positioned to be a help and a protection for them. They are blind children that have no idea what is coming towards them. Therefore, the proper response for the watchmen in this season is brokenness for them and not bitterness towards them. Lamentations, not lashings. May our love for the brethren not be lessened by their deception or by our rejection but rather that our grief be increased into deeper intercession and in doing so, save their souls and ours also. Therefore, let us close today and meditate on the words in Romans chapter 12, verse 14 that says, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Doesn't matter what they've done. Jesus died for them, and it is our job to intercede for the lost as Christ intercedes for us. Ultimately, in the end, we can save no man. It is our job to deliver the message, to give space for repentance that they might receive the truth and reject the lies and influence of the enemy and to pray for them and to wait patiently until they become desperate enough to receive the truth that sets them free. Lord, let us humble before your mighty hand and not become hard-hearted, battle-weary, and scarred. Let us remember that nothing is too hard for our God. Therefore, just because things get hard for us, doesn't mean it's done. As long as there's breath in our lungs, there's still a work of love to be done. So let us keep warring, keep praying, keep fighting, keep pressing on to the mark of the high calling. Keep watching and warning and praising and anticipating because you're not finished.
this message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.